guys, this is Zane, back at it again with another episode of Watching Monstros every single day of the month with friends because I want them to. And I have decided uh, that I am going to take Mondays off from doing this. So, realistically, I believe this should be episode like 14 at this point. But I took a day off of last week and I took yesterday off as well. And I think that just kind of works out a little bit better and it gives me a little bit of an opportunity for some downtime and I can get a little bit of some more uh, preparation for some notes and stuff for the next day's episode and also it just is nice to take a day off occasionally uh, do, doing something every single day like seven days a week I mean it, it's only roughly 30 minutes for you guys but the bit of prep beforehand for me with um, also watching the movie and other stuff like equates it to like a bit over two hours of work for me every single day which I mean all things considered isn't much and I'm definitely not complaining because it's I'm this is fantastic and it's super super fun to do uh but yeah I think it's just a good opportunity if I take at least one day off a week and I don't plan on cutting back on time like any, anywhere past that and I might even be able to make up a couple of those lost days at the end of the month and have like either one really, really long episode or a couple multi-part little things. So like even if I am doing a movie night watch with a couple of my friends in Discord, I can record that entire thing and have it um, split up into like a couple different parts and make that a little bit of end of the month or have everyone in at the same time reviewing the movie. I've got ideas and I'm not going to just miss out on content because I don't want to do it. It's just a little bit exhausting. But besides that, um, today's topic of conversation is going to be a lot of uh, cut content or deleted scene type deals for a lot of the movie and a couple other small notes. A lot of this information I uh, had to take from multiple different little places online because it was some stuff that I actually hadn't noticed and it was also just research stuff I had to do for regarding cut content or early build stuff and there's also going to be a couple just small TV tropes topics and a little bit of background information on those so I mean it's better time than ever just let's we'll get right into it and we can do some of the rambling as we go throughout the episode rather than having five minutes of intro and the rest of it be this. And I'll just go until I have no more things to talk about. So we'll get right into it. I started off the movie trying to count how many pumpkins are actually present throughout the movie, not including duplicates. And I believe there's only four or five, depending on if you want to count the trick-or-treat bucket that they put on vacuum cleaner dummy. I think that if you count that as one, I believe there might be five in total. Not necessarily all of them are carved and lit, but they're pumpkins nonetheless. I might have to do another count tomorrow for that, just to double-double check. Because I think that might be a... It's a stupid little fact. Like, uh, earlier on I was trying to count exactly how many teeth Nebercracker had. And I think it's like 10 or 11, as I maybe mentioned in a previous episode. But it's something stupid like that where... I'm, I just have to look for something for consistency's sake. So, but beyond that, the 
from there's a picture in the wall of DJ's house, like a portrait of a dog, which leads me to assume that they at one point did have a pet dog. Uh, I don't know if it's like a Yorkshire Terrier or what kind of dog it is, because I am absolutely I'm not well versed in dog breeds in the slightest, so I couldn't for the life of you uh, help with that. But they pretty much as soon as DJ goes into the house after Z shows up, you can see it on the back wall leading towards the kitchen. There's a it's giant and framed. You can't really miss it if you're looking for it. So if you do, let me know what kind of breed it is, because. At this point, it's almost not worth searching for what kind of dog it is. And if any of you dog lovers out there are able to find it, I mean, hey, it'd be cool to know. And get some audience participation in. Heh. But one massive topic from TV Tropes is the talking point of the house at the end of the movie. And they dubbed the final version of the house as the one-winged angel. And apparently that's a typical... Well, not a typical, but it's a trope term known for when push comes to shove and the villain is releasing their restraints. A couple examples of which being like uh, Maleficent turning into the dragon at the end of, I believe it's Sleeping Beauty. Uh, Sephiroth in Final Fantasy VII, where they obviously got the name One Winged Angel from. Uh, you can go into like a bunch of other things. Uh let's say, a scientist drinking his potion, like in Resident Evil or something, and becoming a big bad guy. They do that in Resident Evil 5, which I'm currently playing through. Or someone summoning some evil demon, and just, like, at the very end of it, just not caring if the demon's going to follow orders or not, and he just is going to summon it for the heck of it. So those are a good couple examples. I don't think all of them, like, I, this is probably the only time I've ever seen it considered as a one-winged angel in, like, a trope. But I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And since the release of Final Fantasy VII, which this was based off of, there's been a lot of one-upping for, like, final forms. As in this one, the house only has... I mean, all things considered, it has roughly three. You've got the regular, the tree when it's chasing them down, and then the reconstruction. But it, in this situation, I'm going to call it roughly just, like, two. Where the one-winged angel tro uh, form is the final one as it gets rebuilt. And, yeah, since then, there's been tons of one-upping on Final Forms. For example, you've got, like, Frieza having three different ones, and Cell having a whole, I don't know, like, four or five in Dragon Ball Z. Uh, in video games, you've got Sister Freed from Dark Souls 3 starting off as a basic fight, and then bringing in two, and then there's a Final Form for her. All sorts of things like that. Games with, like, multiple tiered boss fights where you can kind of see it coming are pretty good examples of that. I can't go into a description of the Final Fantasy VII boss because I've never actually played it. Maybe I will eventually, but I that's pretty much what it goes for, even though One-Winged Angel is the song that actually plays. And another, like, trope in regards to having, like, roughly three different phases, there's usually a normal phase, a gross demonic big phase, and a final phase somewhat being like a weird angelic like phase where they get like chanting going on in the background and stuff like that. And that w I guess actually that was roughly about it for TV trope wise. Uh, there's definitely a few others. that They mentioned just a lot of things that make the house like an, a monster. So tropes with a name. And 
from here, it's mostly just going to be cut content and a few extra details of behind the scenes stuff that I didn't quite cover in the last one. So, as I did mention, I believe, oh man, in one of the first couple days of the series, um, the house was supposed to have real organs inside of it rather than just the pipes that they used. Although, the pipes make for a pretty good alternative as they still sort of undulate and move around like intestines anyways. And when the kids are getting caught in the basement and the skylight open or yeah, the skylight pretty much opens up and goes into the basement, you can see it like going down the throat and all the pipes going along the side as if it's like, you know, innards. And I'd almost I don't quite know if having real organs would fit totally well. Cause it's not like he Nevercracker built the organs. It's more like the house is kind of like possessed by her. But if they were to like make a remake in PG-13, it'd be kind of gr like gross to see like the inside of the house be all like organic, sort of like how Annihilation does horror in that regard. That'd be super, super neat and terrifying and gross. But I, you know what, I kind of, when stuff is done like that cr creatively and not just for the sake of being gory, it's, it's really interesting because you don't get stuff like Saw where it's super gory for the purpose of being gory and it's like that's all it has going for it. You can get creative with it and be cool and still be disturbing at the same time. Also, at one point in development, Z was supposed to be eaten by the house rather than having her just leave to go look for bones after he was eaten by the house, but she doesn't quite know that. Um, one thing that I didn't notice from the concept art before, I still haven't gone through all of it, but as I mentioned some of the concept art stuff before, this one I didn't see, where it looks like Chowder's upstairs in the bedroom looking into a mirror. And from like the other side of the mirror, like when you're looking into it, there's like the figure of Constance uh, screaming at him and looks like she's chasing him down and is about to jump through the mirror. Which is... Could have been a cool alternative for having it be haunted and also like organic on the inside as well. But that almost played better into the idea of it showing up in the video game, which it never quite does. Uh, the main menu for the DVD is more creepy than a lot of other kids' movies might have it. It's completely nighttime. The sort of... It's not inherently creepy intro music, but like it's more darker toned. Uh, that is playing on loop nonstop. And there's none of the kids present whatsoever. So it's just pretty dark and like ominous all the way through. And what makes it even worse is once the movie's over and plays back to the main menu, everything is roughly the same, except every so often the house was going to randomly turn like monstrous and roar at you. So I don't know what they had in mind for that. It's extremely creative and creepy, but <laughs> for marketing towards kids, that's maybe not inherently the brightest idea but i love it that's super cool and not something that you might typically notice and of like it's time even right now apparently it's the only motion capture movie to have the an entirely original storyline and not being based on anything like in specific and it was also the first animated movie to be using sony's animation rendering software so it was first for a lot of things and like if it does hold up true to be the only motion capture film having an original story, that's actually wild to think that this is from 2006 
and we're all the way up in 2020. And unless that changed within the last year, which I don't think it has, a lot of things moved away from a lot of motion capture related things. And if there was, a lot of them most likely are sequels to other things. So that's, that is really neat. Um, mentioned before in one of my earlier episodes, Chowder having different names in like different language versions of the movie. I believe I talked about that briefly in the episode going over the fan wiki. Um, Chowder's na name is Ketchup, Bones' name is Punk, and Skull's name is Freak within the German versions of the movie. Now, I'm not entirely sure w why, but maybe it just is like a funny localization thing. I don't know if they changed anything specific within the Chinese version, because I know Skulls and Bones are kind of in poor taste over there. They change a lot of things, such as getting rid of think Skeleton King from Dota, Karthus from League of Legends was replaced to have sort of like no face or like sort of a mask instead of his skeletal face like we have in the North American version. And uh, a lot of the Scion rework got rid of his bone like shoulder that he had and makes him just like the big behemoth he is now. So for all I know, localization stuff could be totally different for that, but maybe in 2006 it wasn't quite the issue that it was or is nowadays. And on the on the first day of shooting, John Heater apparently tripped over a wire and broke his foot, which could make a lot of sense as to why he's not super, super, like, enthusiastic during the behind-the-scenes and stuff. Because, I mean, if I broke my foot and had to keep filming this movie, I'd be a little bit, like, angry about it. But it probably didn't impact him too, too much. It also could be a result as to why he is so static in the movie and doesn't move around a whole lot, except for when he's walking away. I might have to go back and watch the behind-the-scenes footage to see if there's a cast on his leg at any point. Or maybe they just filmed his parts later on. Because I would imagine shooting for stuff goes longer than roughly the six weeks it takes to get your bones and stuff fixed, or however it is. Uh, one thing that had to get changed that is technically already in the movie, but has been changed, is originally Chowder said, DJ, you piss in bottles? But to try and keep the PG rating, rather than making it PG-13, which kind of wish that would have been sick, they changed it to him saying, DJ, you pee in bottles? Except they didn't have the actor reanimate the voiceover it was probably noticed a lot later on that they had to change it so you can see that chowder still says piss like he mouths it but he doesn't actually say it in the movie so that's actually a little probably one of the few inconsistencies they have in the movie that i've well that i've even noticed there i might actually have to look for more later on um also Moving to, like, homages and stuff, apparently the beginning of the movie with Eliza on the tricycle is supposed to be an homage to The Shining, but I'm not really finding anywhere that it was confirmed by any, like, of the director or writer or anything, so it seems like a pretty loose one, especially because the kid in the movie for The Shining is riding on a big wheel rather than a tricycle, and, you know, he's in a hotel, and... She's outside and it's Halloween, but like maybe ghost wise and like focusing around a building 
it could be a pretty rough homage. It's kind of hard to say, though. So I wouldn't totally count that as confirmed, but for all we know, it could be. I also, I believe I mentioned uh, also in the wiki fandom episode, the bullies that were supposed to be in the movie. They're going to be named Cameron and Ryan and Bully Chowder and DJ throughout the movie. But of course they were cut. And a main reason for them being cut is DJ was going to end up leading them to the house so they'd get eaten by it. And they found that that was a little too dark for a PG movie. And also having two bullies alongside the, like, Nebercracker being mean to them, Z being mean to the kids, Bones also being pretty mean to the kids, and potentially even the officers, it might have too much of a harsh tone for set for the movie around the kids, where everyone's just kind of being mean to them. It's a little bit lighthearted having people not believe them, but not outright be super mean to them. So it's probably was for the best that they removed that part. And besides The Shining, there are a potential few other homages throughout the movie based around other Stephen King things. For example, the house coming alive and eating people is, I think they mentioned it's in the third, third part of the Dark Tower. I couldn't see if there was an. I didn't see if there was a name for a house that did that specifically, but in the third, is it like set, or I think third act of the book, there's something pretty specifically that happens just like that. And when the kids go into the basement of the house and Chowder shines his flashlight on the little symbol monkey, the, uh, some people think that it is uh, an homage to a mechanical monkey being found in the basement. Also within, or not also within, but within uh, something called the Skeleton Crew by Stephen King. And a main character also finds a mechanical monkey and shines his flashlight on it within the basement. That one's a little more, like, pretty bang on in regards to homages. Because a mechanical monkey with a shinier flashlight on it in the basement is so oddly specific that I feel like it has no other reason to not be that. And that moot part stuck out a little bit too for no particular reason. So it would make a lot of sense for it to be like that. Um, the slogan on the side of the police car reads, We want to help, which I didn't notice previously. Um, the screenwriter's hometown was Mayville as a kid, and Rob Schraub being the screenwriter for the movie. So that also makes a decent amount of sense as to why they chose Mayville randomly for that. And this one completely, like, blew me away. So in Donnie Darko, during his Halloween party, you can find this on YouTube, the clip for it, when uh, one of the... I can't remember her name. It's been a while since I watched the movie. But when the girl that Donnie's interested in is knocking on the door and he lets her in, as he lets her in and they're leaving and the camera stays there for a second, there's a guy in the background wearing the exact same, like, Letterman jacket that's brown with, like, the white sleeves, and he's wearing, like, a Creature from the Black Lagoon mask. And it's absolutely identical to that of the vacuum cleaner dummy. And if that wasn't pointed out, I definitely would not have been able to have noticed it. But I did double-check on the YouTube clip to see if it's true, and it absolutely is. So that's super crazy, because that's super, super niche, but... I think that's one of the cooler homages, and that one absolutely for sure has to be um, 
an actual like reference and not just a supposed kind of off the wall theor theory one. And I really like that. Um, it also was the second movie ever to be using uh, Real D's 3D. I don't know exactly which the first was, but hey, being the second one, that's pretty important. And if you're paying attention, you can most likely notice that throughout the movie, everything that is in pairs typically has two dynamics, with the exception of the parents and Z and Bones. And that is, one character is usually skinny and like more oval shaped, and the other one is uh, just rounder in comparison. Uh, it's They're not inherently taller and shorter. For some of them they are, but DJ and Chatter are pretty much the same height, so... But Chatter is more round, and DJ is like skinnier, so more oval shaped. And this is especially present within the officers, where... Nick Cannon's character is way skinnier and taller, so more oval shaped, whereas Kevin James's character is just rounder and shorter. And this also does work with Z, because at the end of the credits, when Z gets together with Skull, Skull is shorter and round, and Z is taller and skinnier. So the oval and circle character thing works. Oh, also for Nevercracker. Tall and skinny, Constance is like shorter and wider. So it's pretty consistent throughout the movie, and I know it's a really, really common character design that a lot of TV shows and movies do, just so that there's like big enough contrast between the two characters without explicitly there being too, too much of a difference. And it's also easier to design characters based on those traits. And the Super Soakers used from all the kids don't actually exist except for DJs but if we're going with the theory that the movie takes place in 1983 which would make a lot of sense because I believe the 30th of October in 1983 was on a Saturday so the parents leaving for the weekend and then coming back on the Sunday for the 31st and that's why a lot of all the kids are out way earlier than later on. Could make a lot of sense, and that gives a little bit more support for it being in 1983, because the kids aren't in school during the time when the parents are leaving. So if it was a Friday, the kids would most likely be in school around like 2-ish or whatever before the uh, parents leave. So there's another thing for that. But, sorry, as I was mentioning with the year... Uh, GJ Super Soaker was invented in 1993. I don't know the exact brand of it, but his is the only one that actually is existing in real life currently. The other ones look like they're other ones, but there's no actual models that they're based off of, just pretty generic stuff. Um, on the posters for the carnival that Constance is probably unwillingly a part of, uh, her title is Constance the Giantist, Giantess, the woman as big as a house, which if they showed that earlier in the movie could be foreshadowing, but we already know at this point. But hey, that's a neat, neat little note. And before, I'm kind of jumping all over the place at this point, and I'm sorry for that. These were a couple notes that I added near the bottom. Um, before collapsing at the beginning of the movie, Nevercracker almost lets out, like, stay away from her or keep away from her. 
He almost lets out the her, but then he he collapses, falls over, and like breaks his arm. So that was pretty much the earliest sign that the house was a, a her. But I would imagine a lot of pe homeowners might gender their house just for the sake of it. Like I know a lot of people call their ships like uh, her, like SS, etc. I don't even know what the SS stands for. I never really thought about that. Hmm. But that's thinking out of other things. And the final note that I actually have here is the uvula and the house being a girl because Cheddar doesn't have one of those could also potentially be foreshadowing as to the house being a girl. As before that point, no one really realized like that the house was, you know, haunted by Constance and alive. So shooting the uvula, at uvula and whatnot, that could have been a small little nod to that before the kids actually find it out. And I mean, it's so minor that it's not really, doesn't really matter too much, but yeah, it's just a little something to notice. And hey, the time that we're at right now is like pretty close to being able to wrap it up, which is pretty funny. So I'll just probably say just a couple more little words and then I'm gonna, uh, I guess, head off for the night and upload this. But uh, I have forgotten to <laughs> rate the movie the past couple days. So I'm gonna give this an overarching past couple days review. The movie gets uh, 10 Netflixes out of 10 Netflixes for being the best streaming service to current to also the probably the only streaming service right now to have the movie. So uh, good on them for that. I'm super happy for that. And I most likely tomorrow should have someone on the show. I have I still have plans with other people and I'm still getting um, questions built together for them. And I do have people actually lined up. Do I say this every day? Yeah. But when I'm going over, when I have as much content like this, I can't imagine being able to go over that with someone else without having like a big introductory thing and sending them my uh, word file that I'm working on. Because right now I'm at roughly 3000 words for just different notes and stuff to talk about. So this is looking like a good time to end it. So thank you, thank you so much for watching, or listening, depending on where you're getting this from. Uh, as always, have a wonderful night. I've, I hope you're still enjoying the series if you're making it to this point. We're a little under halfway throughout the month, bar missing a couple, like two days, but that's fine. And uh, if you have any specific questions or topics that you would like me to cover, please feel free to shoot me a message. I, I'd want to be able to answer some questions that you guys might be interested about. So, yeah, I'll see you guys for tomorrow then. Have a good one.